This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Flato. And I'm Sci-Fi producer Kathleen Davis. The technology world moves so fast, and it's hard to keep track of what we should be paying attention to. Sometimes you just want someone to tell you who are the big players and what are the technologies that could really change the world. Lucky for us, each year the MIT Technology Review compiles a list of the 10 breakthrough technologies that they say matter most right now. Joining me to help break down this list is my guest, Amy Nordrum, Executive Editor of Technology Review, based in Boston. Welcome back to the show, Amy. Thank you, Kathleen. Great to be here. So let's start with the elephant in the room. AI was everywhere last year. And I imagine with its inclusion on this list, it's probably not going anywhere, right? You're absolutely right. And it's really been a wild year for AI. Uh, What we called it on the list this year is AI for everything. And this is really our attempt to sum up everything that happened in the last year. It's the year when the public began interacting with AI directly, you know, consciously playing around with it, using it to do different stuff, using tools that let you type in a prompt and get a written response or an image of the things that you just described in a matter of seconds. Really powerful technology and uh, we'll be seeing a lot more uh, action in this space in the year ahead for sure. So how might generative AI advance in the new year? Well, the systems that many large tech companies have already built will continue to get more powerful. There will be new releases of the, the models as they become more capable. We've started to see them integrate not just text, but also you know images and audio into their prompts. And coming up, we'll likely see them generate things like video instead of just static uh, images. In the year to come, there's also a lot of big questions that we're going to need to grapple with about these systems. My colleague, uh, Will Douglas Heaven, had a really nice piece about this recently. There's a lot of court challenges against these models uh, from both artists and writers, even the photo service Getty and the New York Times uh, about the content that they've ingested, claiming creators of these models have violated copyright. So those cases will be moving forward. And 2024 is also a huge election year, not just here in the U.S., but all around the world. A lot of different countries are having major elections, record number of people going to the polls. And as we know, these models can generate fake images. They can help spread bad information, which could potentially influence some of these contests. There's a lot that we're still going to be figuring out as a society as well about how to deal with these systems. So I remember back when smartphones really became a big thing. There was like clearly a point in time pre-smartphone versus post-smartphone in my brain. I mean, have we sort of reached that point with AI? Do you think it's really just going to be everywhere now? I think it will. I think I honestly think that's safe to say. I mean, all of this was really set off by the debut of ChatGPT, which was just over about a year ago. Uh, since then, there's been so many other new tools, and these are now starting to be incorporated into things that we use every day, like search, uh, chatbots, email services, and about a million other places online. Uh, You know, I think there's still a question out there, like what are these models going to be most useful for? We can all think of the many ways we use our smartphone today. It's not as clear, I think, with generative AI quite yet where this is all headed. They're really fun to play with, but what can we actually do with them that's really going to, you know, enrich our lives? Uh, I don't think we have a clear answer to that yet, but I'm pretty confident uh, that we'll we'll arrive at some answers over these next few years as people continue to adopt and and play with them. Mm -hmm. So let's move towards a healthcare innovation that is on this top technologies list, and that is weight loss drugs. So we're talking about things like Ozempic, Wagovi, Munjaro. I mean, drugs that were definitely in the news a lot last year. So why did these wind up on this list of breakthrough technologies? 
We put them on the list because they really came into the public consciousness this past year in a big way. These drugs have been around. Uh, they were originally developed for diabetes, and they've been shown uh, through trials with diabetes uh, patients that they can also cause people to lose, you know, around 15% of their uh, body weight. And so we felt, you know, the the change this year was people really becoming aware of them and a huge surge of demand uh, for these medications. So a big controversy with these drugs uh, that I remember last year is that supply really had a hard time keeping up with demand. So people who needed these drugs sometimes couldn't get them. Is the hope that this is going to change? Well, that's certainly the hope. I mean, I I think it's going to be hard for a while still. I mean, the companies are certainly trying to produce as many of them as as they can. There are new ones coming to the market. Just recently, there was a new one called ZepBound uh, that was approved by the FDA. So there will be new options coming onto the market. And um, I know that the companies, uh, you know, obviously are eager to sell as many as they can. So they'll be ramping up production. But I think it's likely to be tight for a while because demand is so huge. Mm-hmm. What do we know about long-term effects? Well, they have been used in um, diabetes patients for a while. So there is uh, some long-term data you know, more than a decade in some cases for those medications. Um, but I think there are still some, you know, reasons to be cautious here. I mean, there's, um, you know, financial considerations. These drugs are expensive, more than $1,000 a month, uh, not yet covered by most insurance programs. There can be side effects uh, that people are dealing with who get on them, gastrointestinal side effects like nausea, indigestion, diarrhea, And they are drugs that, you know, for the most part, people do need to be on for the rest of their lives once they start taking them. So these are all, you know, these are all factors, uh, you know, to consider and talk with people's doctors about. Let's move on to some energy technology, super efficient solar cells. Tell me about the big innovations going on here. Right. This is our term for solar cells uh, that add a layer of perovskites, which are tiny crystals that absorb different wavelengths of light than traditional silicon cells. So cells made with perovskites can be more efficient in converting energy from the sun into electricity. They're called perovskite tandem solar cells. And we put them on the list this year because one of the leading companies uh, in this space called Oxford PV is planning to start shipping cells made this way to customers later this year. There's also been a lot of other movement, too. There's major solar manufacturers, including First Solar, uh, who are investing in this technology and acquiring some of the startups that are developing it. Uh, And, you know, there's still a lot to prove. Perovskites are kind of delicate. They are known for breaking down quite easily. Um, So these companies will need to show that their panels can really withstand, you know, real-world use uh, and be cost-competitive with silicon technology. Uh, but in the end, what we could end up with if if this all works out is uh, much more efficient uh, solar panels. Mm-hmm. I mean, a big question with perovskite cells is that it, the testing outside has been pretty limited so far. I mean, could we see that change this year? Yeah, that's really one of the biggest questions for the field. Mostly these have been tested in labs and not yet really in the real world. I think Oxford PV does have a, you know, a panel up at their own facility, but tests have been pretty limited and small uh, up to this point. Uh, there has been some good progress making these panels more enclosed so that they, they don't l- allow things in like water, which can, can cause perovskites to degrade. So they're, they're making some good progress, but I think they're going to really have to show that in the test in order to get commercial interest and show that it's reliable. So you've got another renewable energy technology, which is on this list, and that is enhanced geothermal. Uh, what is enhanced geothermal exactly? Sure. Well, geothermal is really a great uh, stable source of renewable energy, but it's really only been practical up to this point in places 
where there's a source of heat pretty close to the surface of the Earth. Uh, but now using fracking techniques developed by the oil and gas industry, geothermal companies are able to crack open rocks and inject water to create geothermal facilities in more places. And this is known as enhanced geothermal uh, systems. And there's one company, Fervo, that has demonstrated uh, in the, within the last year that this is possible. Mm-hmm. I hear that there's some concern about the drilling that geothermal energy requires and its possible links to earthquakes and seismic activity. I mean, how concerned should we be about that? Yes, this is a concern. It has been one and it hasn't hasn't gone away. Uh, you know, for Fervo's part, they say that they are following uh, guidelines developed by the Department of Energy to minimize the risk. Companies working on this technology have invested more in trying to monitor seismic activity uh, around their facilities. But I think it's something uh, that definitely the creators of this technology are going to have to contend with. Uh, and it's a risk that they're, they're definitely very aware of. Mm-hmm. Okay, the last technology that we're going to talk about today is a little wonky, and that is exascale computers. Tell me about these. This is not something I know much about. <laughs> sure. Well, a very new, uh, powerful generation of computers is coming online. These are exascale computers, so machines that can perform more than an exaflop's worth of calculations. Uh, an exaflop. Exaflop. So that's a one with 18 zeros after it. If wow. You, <laughs> hard, to, hard to even fathom. Um, so these computers are the most powerful machines you know, on, on Earth uh, uh, for computing. And the first one called Frontier was built here in the U.S., it's up and running. Uh, Europe is getting its first one later this year called Jupiter. There's a couple more uh, in the works planned here in the U.S. at other national labs. And these machines are really excellent at performing powerful simulations of complicated stuff like, you know, the climate, <laughs> the universe, um, even phenomena like uh, turbulence. So it's pretty exciting for a lot of scientists uh, from a number of different fields who are now going to you know, potentially have access to these machines and the simulations that they can they can run. Yeah. I mean, like, why is it so cool that we could have this incredible computing power? You talked a little bit about the different industries that might be interested, but like, what are the implications? What could we actually learn? Well, there's a number of projects um, in the works. What these computers are really good at is performing simulations that can look at the macro scale of things and also zoom in to like the micro scale in a really um, detailed way. And so they can look at different scales of really complicated problems. And so you can imagine a number of different places where that might be useful. Um, The lab, Oak Ridge National Lab in Tennessee is where Frontier is based and scientists there are using it to model clouds for climate simulations because the process by which clouds form has been a really difficult process to model up to this point. And now uh, with Frontier, they're able to get the resolution down to about three kilometers, which is just under two miles. So that's a much more detailed look at that process than scientists have been able to to really get before. Um, there's other projects in the works. Some, some startups are you know hoping to move um, over to what's called small modular nuclear reactors for uh, fission power, and those should be you know cheaper to build and deploy. But there's another group at Oak Ridge working on using supercomputers, uh, including Frontier, to simulate what happens inside those reactors. Um, so there's you know any any complicated thing uh, that you might be able to imagine could potentially uh, benefit from from a simulation uh, that you can run on one of these machines. Well, super interesting stuff. Thank you so much, Amy. That is all the time that we have for now. Amy Nordrum, executive editor of MIT Technology Review based in Boston. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Kathleen. 
And if you want to read the full list of breakthrough technologies to pay attention to this year, head to technologyreview.com.